Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father God, we do thank you that when we are thirsty, when we are hungry, when we are lost, that you care for us. That you, the maker of heaven and earth, would actually care for us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. We, Lord, help us to be aware of the ways that you do that. And, Lord, we pray that this morning as we turn to your word, that we would experience your care and you would help us to trust you more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you tired this morning? Are you weary? Do you feel exhausted? Maybe a bit burnt out? Maybe you, you came to church feeling kind of empty. I'm glad you're here. God's Word has something for you this morning. See, it's not uncommon for believers walking with God to in one season see something really quite incredible and amazing that God would do, that He would do some sort of outpouring or work that's quite miraculous, that's unmistakably divine, And sometimes when those, those happen, we feel like, well, this is the lasting change that we've been looking for. This is resulting in more people knowing God. It feels like an irreversible change in our lives when we encounter these miracles. When we encounter these, these moments of worship or a strong answered prayer. And we think, well, after this, I'm never going to question anything in my faith again. Now, I know, now I see. We just feel so set. Maybe as though we've captured a glimpse of heaven itself. And as great as those experiences are, we also know that we live in a deeply fallen world. And so that there's these times where we will have that fresh experience and, and sometimes almost immediately after seeing this answered prayer, this work of deliverance, feeling this overwhelming sense of God's love for us, some sort of tragedy strikes lose a friend in a car accident. We hear the word cancer. We fall into this old habit of a sin that we hoped we were finally done with. Our loneliness hits us like a rock. And you can sincerely rejoice 
that God is your everything, that you feel satisfaction from Him that only He can give, and sometime later you can feel utterly alone or devastated, and sometimes it's simultaneous. And when this happens, it's pretty disorienting for a believer. It can feel like having the wind knocked out of our walk with God. If you're here this morning and you're tired and weary and you've come before praising the Lord with great exuberance, but this morning you're crying out, I want to let you know you're in good company. And if you're ever tempted to think that maybe God is just done with me, when I look at my life, I look at my lost relationships, brokenness, prayers that I thought would surely be answered by now. And maybe you look at the past with rose-colored glasses at things God has done and you think, well, I guess that part of my life is over now and I can rejoice in what's happened, but maybe he's just finished. Or in the midst of a season of loss, you feel like the greatest happiness that you've ever felt or the closest to God you've ever felt is firmly behind you. God's word has something to say to us. So I invite you, if you haven't already, to go to Psalm 126. Let's read together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It doesn't strike us at first glance, but Psalm 126 is a lament, albeit a unique lament, it's like a sad song written in a major key. You hear the opening lines and it seems like it should be really happy. Like, here we go, it's time to celebrate, it's time to rejoice. And then the tears and the sorrow come in. But they're not out of place. It shows us that among other things, our mourning and lamenting in our mourning and lamenting, it is of great benefit to worship God. This surprising lament also shows us this, that worship is not only for the happy. Worship is not only for the happy. We are called to join in lamenting worship through remembering and praising the Lord for what he has done. Isn't it great news that you don't have to be happy to worship? 
Think of how much less you'd be able to come to church or sing in praise if you had to be happy in order to do so. That our God doesn't require that. He actually wants us to cry out in our pain. Unfortunately, there's a lot in current worship culture that misses this, or they think of lamenting as something we used to do. But here in this psalm, lamenting teaches us a lot about what God has done in the past and and the need we currently face. The psalmist is looking back in these first three verses at something that would have been a tremendous work of God. It is most likely that the psalmist is referring to the captives returning from Babylon back to the Holy Land. But it is just vague enough that it could be applied to a whole lot of things. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. You start reading these first few verses and it it feels like how could this be a lament as there's these descriptions of God's work that are full of elation and it starts with that it's just surreal. God did something and the whole time we're sitting there just pinching ourselves. Like, this is so good, it feels like a dream. It's the the worshipers, they're describing an experience where they saw Ephesians 3.20 come to life, where everything they asked or imagined was happening. And it was playing out before their eyes. I mean, it's one thing if Amazon exceeds your expectations. Because your expectations are like, here, for Amazon, but when the Lord exceeds our expectations, that's truly great. And the psalm here says we were like those who were dreaming. It didn't even feel real. It was surreal. It was an ecstatic moment. Our mouths were filled... Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was shouts of joy. Every time we opened our mouth, it was celebration. There was nothing but joy. We were laughing. We were shouting for joy. It was nothing but joy. It was an ecstatic experience. They can only rejoice in what God has done. And these are fun moments in life. These are wonderful moments in our walk with the Lord where something happens and like we just can't, like there's nothing that's going to bring us down. Because we see God's love for us. We see his power at work on our behalf. It's like, I just prayed it and it happened. It was amazing. God did it. He saved my loved one. He, He healed the illness. He he opened up the door for me to talk to this person about him that I've been wanting to for so long. It takes the expression, you can't help but smile, to a whole new level. It's surreal, it's ecstatic, and it's noticeable. See, not only were the people worshiping, but those who didn't believe in God were worshiping. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. 
When God works among his people in these amazing ways, the outside world sees it, which is exactly the point. Israel was made a nation partly so that the other nations would see who God is. And here, through God's redemptive work, the nations are going, wow, what a great God they have. They are noticing God through the work of God, which only increases the rejoicing. And it's like the the nations and the people of God have unified in a song. The Lord has done great things for them. And then there's this echo back. The Lord has done great things for us. And then this understatement of the century. We are glad. I hope you're able to join in saying the Lord has done great things for us. I hope you're able to look back in your life and see what God has done for you, that we as a church can look back. This year is going to mark Westchester being 140 years old. I think the Lord's done some pretty amazing things in 140 years. Isn't that wonderful? And join in emphasizing the source of that, that God has done this, the grandeur of it, these great things, and the object of God's work is us. The Lord has done great things for us. And so you might be wondering, how in the world does this, could this, will this set up anything resembling a lament? And it's subtle, but it's there. Everything for these people is in past tense. That's what God did. And it's great to reflect back on what the Lord has done. And we can do so with a fully celebrative heart. But where the psalm goes... And an easy place for us to go. And it's not unnatural and it's not wrong, but looking back, not so much with celebration here, but with nostalgia. And not even just nostalgia, but nostalgia that is mixed with grief. What God did there, only God could have done. And it was absolutely amazing. And right now, I am in absolute anguish. Even though God did that a while ago, today I'm in absolute anguish. It feels like my prayers aren't being answered. It feels like that redemptive work is a hundred years ago. There's a bit of a Palm Sunday vibe here. You think of those Palm Sunday worshipers, they were Israelites on the real estate of Israel, with a temple. They were no longer in Babylon. They were no longer in Egypt. They were in the real estate of Israel that God had promised them 
albeit under Roman rule, but they were in the land that God had promised them. And they were fully compelled to cry out for salvation. God has done great things in us. And we can look back and we can rejoice and we can be thankful for where we are and we can see how God has brought us from from point A to where we are now and that doesn't make my life perfect. And I need God to do something again. Certainly by the time they sang on Palm Sunday, God had saved his nation on multiple accounts, but they needed it again. In the same way, God has worked in our lives in multiple ways. And I don't think I'm alone in saying, I need it again. So God did this amazing thing. It was better than they could ever imagine, but their rejoicing has come to an end. And so now we are called to join in this psalm to cry out in all your sorrow to the restorer of joy. Notice how he starts. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and now it's saying, restore our fortunes, O Lord. The singers do something in the song that's all too familiar with us. After and in the midst of praising God for what he's done, they honestly cry out, needing him to do something again. We can worship like this, and we need to worship like this. You can be incredibly grateful for what God has done in the past while also mourning what is happening now. And I would argue that you need to do that in order to worship with integrity. If in the midst of a difficult season, I only praise God for what he's done in the past while never begging him to do another work, I'm not being honest with God. The singers of the song, though, on their way to seek the Lord, are not content to live in the past. They're not content to only say, oh God, you did a great thing. God, you were so good to Abraham. God, you were so good to Moses. God, you brought us out of captivity. You were so good. They're not content to just live in the past, but they know, they absolutely know that they need God to work in their present and their future. So listen to this wording. Restore us like like streams in the Negev. Negev was a southern region, very arid, very dry, desert-like, and it had some streams, it had some springs of water. And so they're saying, God, I'm the desert, and you are the living water, and I need you to run in me because I'm not able to produce life on my own. I need you to do it, oh God.
Their confessed need of God is like a parched land in need of water. Their only hope is the Lord. Do you, you feel like a desert, depleted, dried out, and weary? Do you need to join this song? Because right now your only hydration seems to be your tears. We don't come to church pretending to be happy. We don't gather together as a body of believers pretending that everything's okay with each other. But we come to the Lord as these worshipers did with tears and weeping. We come to each other to lift each other up, to be lifted up by one another. So they say, those who sow tears shall reap shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. They do something quite amazing with their tears. They sing with faith, trusting that God does a whole lot more than just forgive our sins. They sing with faith, trusting that God does more for his children than simply forgive their sins. As amazing as the forgiveness of sins is, God does more for you than that. And in their grief and their sorrow, they look ahead to what God can do and does do. He is the God who turns mourning into dancing. And they simply, in their song, they call on God to be God. They sing an intercessory song of sorts. They sing a Walk with me here. A name it, claim it song. But they do it the right way. They name the work of God and they claim it in their life. Which is very different than naming the treasures of the world and claiming it in your life. We Believers, some of whom have theology that is of the Reformed variant, can name and claim the promises of God. That those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. Those who go out with weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. And maybe there's some of you, what you need to do is you need to go home, get out a hundred sticky notes, write these verses on every single one of those sticky notes and plaster them all over your house so you cannot not see this verse. And you need to wallpaper your reality with this promise, with this song, with this cry of lament. Lord, would you restore me like streams in the Negev? All I'm sowing is my tears, but I know that you give a harvest of joy. And I need that harvest of joy. And wallpaper your reality with that. And keep 
praying it. Keep singing it. And see what God does. You know, it's interesting, the imagery here. Going out and weeping and bearing seed for sowing. There's a couple different kinds of gardeners. There's gardeners like me, who in May go to the greenhouse in the parking lot and buy a tomato plant that's this tall and stick it in the ground and then water it or don't water it and somehow it produces tomatoes. Not crazy amounts, but enough that I get a few good BLTs and maybe some salsa. And then there's gardeners like my dad. They're crazy. (laughs) They buy these little dried up, dead looking things called seeds. And they stick them in the dirt. And they wait and they wait. And finally, you see a little bit of green. And that's actually a tomato plant, how it starts. I didn't know that. (laughs) They bring seeds for sowing. And when you look at a seed, it looks completely dead. It looks dried up. It looks like garbage. It looks like squirrel food. It looks like nothing can ever come out of this. And then what happens is it produces food. A hundredfold. The imagery here is that we bring our seeds of sorrow and sow them with the Lord. God, the person I've always counted on has died. My marriage feels like it's over. Lord, I don't, I don't know that my kids are ever going to walk with you. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills next week. God, I don't know how to handle what, what my body is doing physically. God, I don't think I'll ever get over this sin. I don't think I'll ever, like, I don't know how I grow past this. And we bring those seeds of sorrow and we plant them with the Lord. And then what is the imagery next in the text? The imagery is a guy coming home with sheaves of grain on his back. But it's not more sorrow, it is now joy. At a house we used to live in, we bought it, and there was no grass in the back. Zero. It was just nasty, sandy soil. There were too many trees. It was like someone tried to have a national forest in a small backyard in Des Moines. And they came really close to succeeding, and then I came in and paid a friend to just cut down most of those trees. Still left five somehow. Um, And my neighbor told me, 
you'll never get grass to grow back there. It's dead. Nothing will ever grow back there. It'll never happen. It's always going to be muddy. It's always going to be nasty. You'll never get grass to grow back there. The current owners of that house are going to have to mow their lawn this summer. Because I got grass to grow back there. And I did it by taking something that looked really dead and putting it on something else that looked really dead. And maybe in your walk, that's what you feel like right now. That I know God has done great things before. Right now, it just feels kind of dead. And so I want to know, are you willing to come and sow your sorrow and sow your tears and trust the Lord? And I want to tell you, he's going to do something with that. He's a good God. He hears our cries. He hears our pleas. He's a good God. So the praise team is going to come forward. We're going to do some singing. We're going to do a couple songs, so don't think the service is quite over yet. And I want you, in these songs, you can feel free to stand, you can feel free to sit, you can feel free to kneel. And what, in whatever ways you need to do, would you take those seeds of sorrow and sow them with the Lord? Pastor Adam, somewhere near the back, I'm up here. If you want to pray with one of us, we'd love for you to pray with us. If you just want to pray with someone close to you and you just need prayer from a friend who's sitting by you, reach out to them and they're going to pray for you. Let's sow our seeds to the Lord. Father, we pray that you would take these seeds that we are about to give you in worship and that you would do your amazing work with them that you would comfort us, and that you would restore to us again these fortunes of your good work like streams in the desert. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.